Welcome to the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. I'm Jenny Rawlings, a longtime yoga teacher and educator, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Travis Pollan, an exercise science professor and a longtime yogi himself. Together, we take a science-based look at many of the common questions, myths, and controversies that arise in the realms of yoga, movement, and fitness. Join us on this crash course where the worlds of yoga and movement science collide. Welcome to episode three of the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. Today, Travis and I discuss the question, is yoga functional movement? We cover lots of great info in this episode, including what does the term functional movement mean? How is the term functional movement commonly used both in the yoga world and in the fitness and strength and conditioning world? Are pretzel-like yoga poses non-functional? Are isolated single joint movements non-functional while compound multi-joint movements are functional? Is weight training in machines less functional than weightlifting with free weights? Is functional movement a yes-no, black-white concept, or does it exist on a spectrum? We look at these questions and a ton more in this episode. We think you'll really enjoy this conversation. If you happen to be a member on my website, JennyRawlings.com, just know that you can also actually watch the video version of this podcast as a bonus feature of your membership. So if you prefer to listen via audio, that's great, and you can just listen right here. But if you'd like to actually see Travis and I talk face-to-face as we have this conversation, feel free to do so over on my website. If you enjoy this episode, we'd hugely appreciate your support in subscribing, rating, and reviewing our podcast wherever you're listening to it. And now without further ado, here's our episode. Welcome to episode three of our podcast. Today, we are taking a closer look at the question of, is yoga functional movement? And we thought that this would be a good question to address here on the podcast because the term functional movement and also functional training and just the term functional in general is a bit of a buzz term in the yoga movement and fitness worlds. And in the yoga world, at least, I've experienced it's kind of it's a can be kind of a vague and a broad term. And we'll talk about that as we discuss it today. But I've experienced that sometimes yoga is referred to as a functional movement or a functional style of movement. But in my experience, at least, it almost seems more common that yoga is referred to as not functional, or at least parts of yoga are not functional. And uh, in response to that, sometimes systems or styles of yoga are created that are described as being more functional or somehow improved so that they they don't retain those non-functional elements of traditional yoga. So that's kind of how I tend to see functional movement used in the yoga world. But we also know that functional movement is a buzz term in uh, the fitness world as well. And Travis, do you want to speak to that a bit? Yeah. Well, so when you first told me that the whole functional thing was a thing in the yoga world, I was like, no way, because we have the same problem in the fitness world. Where, I don't know, in 2000 and something, a popular strength coach kind of, I don't know if he coined it or if he adopted it. And he said, this is what functional training is. And then it spawns this whole industry of functional training. And I, when I got into the industry in 2012, I fancied myself a functional trainer. Or you did. I, you that did. was kind of like my the the paradigm that I operated under because my mentors were guided by those principles. And so I, I still favor some of those things, but, uh, and we'll talk about what, you know, we'll give specific examples of what mm-hmm. exactly that looks like in yoga and in a more strength and conditioning setting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I have over the eight years or nine years since, um, tried to examine what my what those beliefs are and whether they're well founded and, mm-hmm. and then there's also this other side of it where like you said it's a buzzword where it some people think it means one thing and some people mm-hmm. think it means another thing so that makes it even harder to 
like what the heck even is functional <laughs> training or functional movement? Exactly. It actually kind of reminds me of our first episode of this podcast where we talked about the word stability right. and how that's like a buzz term and it can have varying definitions. It just gets confusing. And I feel like functional, functional movement and functional training is similar. It's just like, is it used so broadly and in so many different contexts to mean so many different things that does it start to become meaningless? I don't know. Yeah. In a sense. I think so. Uh, so we thought it would be helpful to at least take a look at what the term functional movement means, or at least in the context of how we're discussing it today, because again, it is kind of kind of a broad term. But so it can mean many different things, but at its essence, or perhaps you could call it like a classic definition of functional movement, I believe that it would be correct to say that functional movement or functional training would be moving in ways that have real world application or real life application, like moving in ways that help you either um, improve a specific task in your daily life or something that's sport specific if you were an athlete. Would you, mm -hmm. would you agree with that, Travis? Yeah. So that, that's the one, it, probably they don't talk about it from an athletic standpoint in a yoga context, but in a strength mm -hmm. and conditioning or a personal training or fitness context, it's often applied where, oh, we're, we're doing movements that mimic the sport. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, that's actually kind of maybe one distinction that I feel like I noticed with the word functional in the yoga versus the fitness exercise strength and conditioning realms is that my impression is in the yoga world, people use functional meaning more for uh, daily life carryover, but in the fitness world, it might be more commonly used in terms of sport, sport specific tasks and things like that. Sure. But I, like, is there overarching, I think there are commonalities. And then when you get to mm -hmm. sport, it's just uh, a different application of the same sorts of movements, right? Faster right. and higher forces and, and, uh, Maybe some specific to particular sports, but we'll get into mm -hmm. that. Right, 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 right. So just to kind of help better conceptualize this, a uh, just kind of a classic example as far as the difference between, say, functional and non-functional movements might be something like uh, there's a strength training exercise called a loaded carry where you would hold a weight in one or both hands and then you walk around with it. You carry carry the weights around. And that is an example of an exercise that I think pretty widespread um, people would, in a widespread manner, people would call that functional because you can think of that in a, in a daily life situation, how that may improve your ability to say, walk around holding heavy grocery bags. Like that seems so direct, like that applies so directly to. That's like the uh, epitome of yes, epitome. functional because, you know, <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. I hope, I don't think this is just me, but when I go to the supermarket, I try to carry all the bags in one mm -hmm. go, right? And so Wait, you mean when all, I'm all the way through your shopping trip? I'm, oh no, so sorry, getting them from the car to the the <sighs> kitchen. It. Um, so I'm like loading them up, and mm -hmm. so when I'm at the gym, I'm training for that moment when I have exactly. all the groceries and I need to carry them all at once. So the, yeah, the, the carryover is is very clear, right? It's it's the same task. Yeah, it's the same, exactly. So that's like a super, like you said, it's the epitome example of maybe what a functional exercise or a functional movement might look like in that type of setting. And then on, at the other end of the spectrum, I think a, a very common, let's say it's a yoga uh, example now, but a very common yoga pose that may be pointed out as uh, and, and called non-functional is the classic yoga exercise, not exercise, yoga pose, uh, leg behind the head or Ekapada Shirshasana, where you're sitting on the ground and you take one leg and you put that foot or that ankle behind your head or behind your neck and then you, you sit up tall. So leg behind the head is kind of a, a classic, late, classically labeled a non-functional movement because like when in daily life do you ever put your leg behind your head? Like that just not, doesn't really seem to move. <laughs> not when you're taking groceries in the house. <laughs> exactly. And not, yeah, not in both of our general daily movements. So only, he, only in the circus, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. So maybe, maybe it would have some carry over there. But some some kind of epitome examples to cut to kind of get our minds rolling around uh, the difference between at least by this definition and when people use the word functional to mean this kind of what it might look like the distinction between not uh, between functional 
and non-functional. Mm-hmm. Do you, Travis, have you experienced what I have, which is that there are also other words that are similar to functional movement that people often use to kind of mean the same thing or similar thing? Yeah. So fundamental movement mm-hmm. pattern mm-hmm. would be like another yeah, one. Yeah, that's a good one. Where I'm not sure if there, what the distinction is or if there's any distinction. But when I think of what the fundamental movement patterns are to me or in in, in a fitness context, they're sort of they're the same as what comes to mind when I think of functional. So Mm -hmm. I I think of things in a strength training setting, like a squat Mm -hmm. or uh, bending, we would do it, we'll call it a hip hinge, um, pushing and pulling for the upper body, rotating um, any Mm -hmm. sort of locomotion or gait, walking, um, crawling might fit into that. And then like, so those are kind of the, the meat and potatoes ones. And you'll hear different people call them uh, or, or their list might be different, but they're sort of the same level changes, like would be another way of saying squat. Like how do you go up and down? Oh, changing, like going down, going up is a level Mm -hmm. change. Yeah. Um, And then like some people say rolling, like if you, Uh if you think more of of the developmental sequence, Mm -hmm. um, that's where like the rolling and crawling come in. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's all a kind of similar paradigm. Yeah, these like foundational, you said fundamental um, Mm -hmm. movement patterns that there's this idea that the human body, uh, I don't know, are innate to the human body. I I also see uh, language kind of thrown in there around like natural movement and unnatural movement. And basically all the movement patterns you just mentioned, I, I also see often called like natural movement. The idea being that if we were living hunter gatherer style, the way that our bodies uh, are are adapted to uh, live and move through the world, then those would be the movements that our bodies would 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 quote naturally uh, come across or move through. In addition to that, I I think I would also add um, hanging, or mm. you know from like a branch. I guess if you're thinking out yeah, of nature brachiation. or brachiation, swinging, and I've also heard thrown around the idea of throwing, like throwing, like in nature, yeah, you might throw I have something. heard that too. And the the one I didn't mention is lunging. Yes, lunging or, or a split squat, we call it. Yeah, right. Totally. Yeah. So I guess the idea would be you could, I mean, that's kind of a lot of movements, but you could throw all those together and call them functional movements, whether sure. they're done in a strength training context or whether they're done like in a yoga context. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Uh, so another this is getting a little more broad with the the terms that people use for functional movement and you may or may not have experienced this travis but in my experience in the yoga world i also feel like the term functional movement is often loosely uh conflated with the this idea of like healthy movement or better movement movement that's just better for the human body like in this innate way Mm-hmm. So I, I sometimes hear the terms functional and non-functional movements get t- tangled up with these ideas of better movement, um, healthier movement, natural movement, just kind of all of that. And then on the flip side, these movements that are said to be not natural, non-functional. Non-functional, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you could see yeah. how like maybe functional is the, is the most buzz term, but all these other words are often used to mean similar things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I can I can appreciate that some movements are more functional than others, depending on how you're defining it. If you're defining it the way we defined it. Um, but I, mm-hmm. I also think that it's not quite as binary and there's, right. there's more, it's more of a spectrum. Totally. Uh, I think that's a really good way to describe it. And I know that you've written about that before and we might get to that in mm-hmm. our conversation, but I think that's yeah. a nice way to look at it. Not necessarily so black or white, on or off, even though our human minds often like to look at look at things and see them that way. Yeah, but we can talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so in the yoga world, um, I have found, as far as looking at like yoga-specific types of movements and poses and asanas, I found that... I use that example of like behind the head as kind of the ultimate quote unquote non-functional movement that is labeled that way. But there are many others in the yoga lexicon that tend to also be called uh, non-functional or non-natural or just all these, you know, some of these other terms that mean similar things. And some of these are 
for example, yoga has this, uh, this association with being full of like pretzely type poses where you're folding your body into these complicated pretzel like shapes that involve deep ranges of motion and really kind of leveraging your body into shapes. So just in general poses that, that fit that description might be labeled non-functional or less quote healthy for the body. So, so, um, some example like Lotus pose that's mm-hmm. seated where you, where you take one ankle up into the opposite hip crease, and then you take the other ankle up. That's another kind of classic pose. That's, that's uh, not believed to be, I don't that t- tends to be labeled like non-functional. Also arm binds, you know, like arm binds where maybe you take your arms behind your back or wrap your arms around your leg and then you catch your hands behind you. I tend to see those labeled non-functional. Another classic one is reverse prayer pose. Mm-hmm. So if you think we of can, prayer with the- We can do away with that one. I can't do that one, so- you can- we don't. We don't need. We don't need that one. You think because Travis Paul can't do reverse prayer, we just don't need to. We can let go of that. But I can do that pose. So, so that's all right. We can. We can keep can it. We keep it. Yeah, can we, we can keep, keep it on just whoever's interested in doing it, maybe. But so reverse prayer, just for anyone who might not know, we have regular prayer pose uh, with your hands in front of your heart. Reverse prayer is your hands behind your heart, basically. So that's like a position of the shoulders in internal rotation. Maybe some, maybe some adduction kind of depends, I guess, on the length. Extension for sure. And extension. Yes, exactly. And then pressing your palms together behind you. Hyperextension perhaps. Right, right, right. So that's one that I feel, I I tend to see people label that as like not a good movement or non-functional. Other, other ones. And this I think has some overlap with the fitness world, but things like crunches, or mm-hmm. abdominal targeted movement setups. I tend to hear those called non-functional. Yeah, because well, part of the the functional paradigm is that if if it's mimicking activities of daily living or real world tasks, then it must be performed standing. Because oh yeah, I don't know that's functional. So so you can train your oh, wow. abs or your anterior core or what have you, as long as well maybe. According to some people, maybe you shouldn't because right, it's not functional. But but as long as you're standing, that's okay. But as soon, if you're lying on the floor, the the uh, like the argument is well, if in sport you've already lost if you're on your back. So oh, I uh, people say that. Yeah, well, and I hear that applied to bench press. Like, oh, bench press isn't oh, functional yeah. because if you're on your back, you've already been pushed over. You know, if if, if you're a football player oh. and you know a lineman bowls you <laughs> over, then you're you've so anyway um exercises like crunches or anything supine is Mm -hmm. non-functional because it's on the floor and that doesn't mimic your day-to-day hey quick question for you are you someone who wants to be fit healthy and happy and what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we're the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. Yeah. I hadn't heard that justification for why they were called non-functional. I guess in my uh, understanding, it was it was more just that it's like this this repetitive spinal flexion task, and that oh, I think and, it also. And when would you need to do that? Yes, when would you need to do that in in daily life? Like lie on your back and then curl up a bunch. I guess like that would be the. the or argument. well, the other the other argument against crunches is the core isn't designed. That's not the purpose of the core to perform spinal flexion. The purpose of the core is to resist extension, oh, yeah. some would say. <laughs> so uh, the therefore, crunches are non-functional and you should only train the core isometrically. That's some would right. Say. Which which goes back to our two episodes of our podcast ago where we talked about core stability. That episode mm-hmm. about stability in general, but we talked about core stability and, and what that is and how that's like training the, quote, core uh, or the muscles of the trunk in a way in which it's like isometric. So they're resisting motion. I, yeah. Uh, or at least that's similar. You're saying that also it's like anti, anti-extension. Um, but in general, there's just these, these ideas of like training the core, maybe without letting the core move. And that mm-hmm. that's more functional because that's how the core is designed to move for us. 
in life and in sport. That's the thinking, yeah. Yeah. Whether so. that's true is, right. is up for debate. Yeah, exactly. But that's like part of how it fits into this paradigm of mm-hmm. functional versus non-functional movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the in the fitness world, I also feel like, or in the strength strength and conditioning world, I feel like I see, I hear um, talk about lifting weights in machines as being non functional yeah. and only only free Sim- weights being functional. Similar argument in terms of being seated. So if you're mm-hmm. seated, you're not seated in sports, so therefore you shouldn't sit to perform exercise. And then the other part of it is the fixed plane or axis of motion uh so if you're if the machine you can only move the the machine through one uh Mm -hmm. kind of movement path yep and so if like therefore the machine is providing stability for you Mm -hmm. (laughs) stability right um (laughs) but but you're you're you don't have to stabilize yourself like if you're training Mm -hmm. your lower body let's say a squat would be more functional than a leg press because you have to provide your own stability in the squat not to fall over versus a leg press you just push and Can it you just slides say, up and down tell us what the, a leg press looks like so you're you're seated or maybe lying on your back at kind of like a 45 degree angle and there's a in sled the machine. Mm-hmm, and there's a sled that you put your feet on and it you push the right the plates so that's out. sometimes believed to be non-functional because you're not standing so how does how does it have a real world application if that's not how you move in real life then mm-hmm. then why is this how is this helpful mm-hmm. and you don't have to stabilize the weight because it can only move along right. the track that it's on yeah when i first uh began my strength training path uh, i i worked with a personal trainer for several sessions, just to just to learn and familiarize myself with all the equipment and the basic lifts so that I felt comfortable doing it on my own. And I remember distinctly that when he was showing me around and teaching me, I think it was the, the squat, the back squat, he specifically like pointed to the Smith machine, which that's a machine at the gym, which is similar similar thing, where it's just like it moves you through this one path of movement and the machine itself does the stabilizing for you. You don't have to in your own body. And he just said, like, don't don't use the Smith machine. You should only do back squats with the, with the barbell or whatever. Uh, because I think he just, he was kind of vague, but he was just like, it's bad. It's bad for you. The Smith it's machine. a unnatural yes. path of motion because 100%. the, the track of the Smith machine, some of them are up and down straight and then some of them are slightly angled, but mm-hmm. so, so the slightly angled one maybe mimics a free bar, like a bar, a freestanding barbell better based on how uh-huh. the bar would naturally travel. Um, But it's just this idea, right, this idea that it's rigidly constrained and that's not the way that we, but but then uh, you also don't, this is a a counter argument. Well, back squatting also doesn't really mimic what we do in the real world either because you don't have this like perfectly uniform weight that's (laughs) resting at this perfect spot on your shoulders with this perfect alignment of your feet. Uh, and the exact know, same weight symmetrical. on either side. Yeah, yeah. But anyway. Right, right. Yeah. But it just, yeah, it's interesting to think about. Think about some of these common beliefs and claims that we hear. Maybe take a step back and look in a, in a bigger picture. Uh, one other one other uh, non-functional claim that I tend to see coming out of the, the more fitness world side is isolated exercises versus compound exercises. Mm-hmm. So this the argument is similar to the machine and a lot of machines are isolation or single joint exercises. Single so joint, right. You're you might be seated or there's the fixed arc of movement, but also you, with isolation exercises you're focusing on one muscle group at a time, which isn't how mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. Uh, our bodies coordinate movement in the real world. So, right, because why it's more would you want to do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, our our all the exercises or the movement patterns that we talked about—the squat, the hinge, the push, the pull—those uh-huh. are multi-joint or compound exercises that involve uh, more of our body, as opposed to just isolating movement to one joint, like a bicep and, curl. Right. Right. So. Bicep curls are non-functional because that it doesn't look like sport. Although 
if you take it back and say, well, what are our activities of daily living to eat? You do need to perform a bicep <laughs> curl to, or drink to bring food to. So that's true. What if you arm wrestle? <laughs> well, then, then it's, yeah, then it's absolutely then a bicep functional. Curl, right. Yeah. yeah, but for sure, well, to eat actually, means you're, you're flexing. By, the... Truly, the, the internal rotation of the shoulder is uh, the most isolation uh, and oh, specific yeah. uh, exercise for, our, for, for arm wrestling. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> the body, I, yeah. is internal rotation. So I, at least I, I tend to see some like fear mongering around that that direction movement in general. But I don't know about training internal rotation like through strength. Maybe, maybe that is trained, and I'm just. <laughs> uh rarely like because, shoulder rotation right no because people say well you're so um naturally stronger in the internal rotators that you just need to hammer external rotation and external rotation external rotation totally so there's this like preference toward external rotation. Yeah. that's like the buzz is external you're, rotation yeah, for you're the already shoulder. strong in internal rotation so you need to work on your external rotations. i actually saw oh my gosh. a baseball player who had trained so much external rotation that his external rotation was stronger than his internal rotation whoa so that's, that's he, interesting yeah i i think in reality maybe yeah you do want to uh train a little bit more external rotation but that doesn't mean you have to exclude training internal rotation right right that, that totally makes sense like why you would want to neglect neglect it completely or something mm -hmm. uh, and i think it also sometimes gets tied into the rounded forward shoulders posture sure. idea and that like if you train internal rotation you're just going to pull gonna the shoulders make you forward. more yeah more <laughs> yeah. rounded shoulder -y. i tend to hear that at least at least in the yoga world and therefore yeah. it's all about ex external rotation is is like the universal because three sets principle. of ten of Face pulls is going to change what you, uh, how you hold your body for the other 167 or whatever hours. Right, right, exactly. It's, yeah. We, we might, maybe we should do another episode on things like exercise and movement uh, done even in yoga and how that does or doesn't actually change posture or the way we move. That's kind of a different conversation, but I think mm -hmm. it gets tied up sometimes in these ideas of, yeah, you know, good, bad, natural, unnatural. But anyway, <laughs> just to tie this back into a yoga context. I mentioned earlier in the intro about, at least in my experience, there is this trend in the yoga world to identify movements in kind of the traditional yoga lexicon that are seen as non-functional and to then create like systems or styles of yoga that are often branded and the uh, the way that they're discussed and kind of advertised and promoted is that they're more functional or they're better for your body or things like that. Just a quick moment to interject and to thank you for listening to this episode of the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. If you'd like to work with Travis and myself in a more direct way in your own yoga or movement practice, consider our Strength for Yoga remote group training program. Are you interested in bringing strength into your movement practice? Maybe you already strength train, but would appreciate a smart program to follow designed by people you trust so you don't have to think about what you're going to do each day. Consider joining Travis and myself and a motivated community of yogis who all value the benefits that strength training has for their yoga practice, for their body, and for their life. Strength for Yoga Remote Group Training is a monthly strength program that also comes with unlimited access to my full yoga class library. Use code PODCAST30 for 30% off your first month in our program. You can learn more and sign up on my website, JennyRawlings.com, and the link is in the show notes. And now back to our episode on functional movement. And to then create like systems or styles of yoga that are often branded and the uh, the way that they're discussed and kind of advertised and promoted is that they're more functional or they're better for your body or things like that. So in my experience, that's this trend that I see in the yoga world. So we're kind of improving yoga with these like newer, more updated systems that are just better for you and more functional than, than traditional yoga. And you're, and you're taking some of those existing poses away, right? Mm -hmm, the, exactly. The, subtracting the non-functional ones and adding You're eliminating ones. the non-functional ones. And of course, it really depends case by case on like what exactly is done in, in these systems or, or sometimes it's not just a system, I should say. Sometimes it's more just uh, 
sometimes someone doesn't align themselves with a specific brand and label themselves like I am this type of yoga teacher, but it's more just in how they describe their yoga classes. They might describe, and I tend to see this quite a bit, like uh, in my yoga classes, I teach functional movement or I teach functional yoga. I see that term thrown out there a lot, which, mm-hmm. which just implies to me, at least like this isn't just regular yoga. This is better, more functional, more optimal yoga. And I've made these changes to it that reflect how I think that it's going to benefit your body better. And therefore, like you said, we've eliminated the non-functional aspects, and then we've added in these extra aspects that we believe to be more functional. So yeah, like you were alluding to, uh, movements that sometimes get eliminated from these more functional types of yoga tend to be the ones that maybe look less like real world movements. So, and again, it it really does depend on on the the individual the individual system or person teaching these styles, but I tend to see poses like headstand and shoulder stand. So these inversions, these classic yoga inversions, pretty much eliminated from these headstands types. too, right? That's not functional. Yes, exactly. And why are all those types of poses not functional? Well, because you don't have to ever stand on your head mm-hmm. or hands like when in the real world. Down. Yeah, yeah. Like you walk on your feet. You don't. You don't walk upside down or stand upside down. So, like, why would we try? Why would we do that in yoga if it's not going to benefit something we do in in daily life? Mm-hmm. I also tend to see uh, things like deep ranges of motion are are also kind of labeled non functional and non helpful for the body. So those tend to be eliminated from some of these other systems. So we don't like pursue deep ranges of motion, especially Oftentimes, passively, right? That's what I was actually just going to say. That's mm-hmm. right especially passive. So we kind of let go of the pursuit of, of passive flexibility. And in some cases I see like passive stretching, almost not taught at all, or, or at least not taught in what are believed to be like deeper, what are seen as deeper ranges of motion. So passive stretching is kind of demonized in my experience in many of these systems. And it's replaced with active stretching or mobility, which is like stretching with control specifically so so the the general thinking is that passive flexibility is non-functional right yeah if 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 all stretching that is done in the yoga class is or or the the priority is placed on active then we're kind of saying well passive stretching is is, not functional yeah i think you're totally right about that or bad. Yeah. And that it predisposes you to more injury. There's kind of a, there's a lot of dialogue around out there around that. Well, um, we have a good blog post about that, right? We do. Let's link to that in the show notes. It's a blog post about uh, end range strength training. And also uh, in our, in one of our upcoming episodes, we're going to be going diving more deeply into stretching, passive stretching, static stretching, stretch science. So we'll kind of dive more into this topic then as well, but I think it's good to plant that seed now just that there are these beliefs around it. So in more functional types of yoga, there is this emphasis on active ranges of motion and really utilizing active mobility that's believed to be more functional. Uh, and no uh, no pretzel-like poses. So no lotus, no leg behind the head. No splits, right? No splits. That's Thank you for bringing that one up. Yeah, so Hanumanasana in the yoga world is, is forward splits. And I know there's also... I find this one not really taught in yoga, but there's also splits where the legs go out to the side, like like lateral or wide splits. Maybe that is that pancake. I don't know. That's Upavishya Konasana. Yeah. Pancake, I think. But anyway, but um, splits, forward splits, Hanumanasana tends to be, yeah, that's kind of like, why would you ever want to do that? When do you do that in daily life? We're not going to do that in, in functional yoga. Like mm-hmm. we might work on, on hamstrings, but we're not going to do the splits because that's non-functional. Also deep backbends. That's another category of movement that I tend to see because when do you backbend that deeply, which is kind of kind of goes along with just the deep ranges of motion idea. But mm-hmm. in any case, those are the types of things I see eliminated in functional styles of yoga. And and then it's again, it's a little open to interpretation. What's what is taught kind of instead of those, but just things that I think like a lot of the like you said, the fundamental movement patterns People would probably make a point of integrating those. Uh, and, and also, I think just other ways of sequencing and other movements that people bring in, a lot of discussion around injury and like injury prevention. Like we're doing this because it's going to prevent injury for you in the longer term and therefore it's functional. That's that's another thing about the non-functional yogas. It's often 
described as like non-sustainable or wear and tear on your joints leads you to injury, things like that. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of how I tend to, I know I'm in the yoga world more than you are, Travis, but if you, you, even, even what you know of the yoga world, have you kind of seen some of these? We did a survey, did a couple of surveys, but, and we asked people, yoga teachers, what style of yoga they taught, um, just to get a sense of what sorts of answers. And I certainly saw, oh, I teach functional movement or functional yoga. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a way to be like, oh, I'm in the know. Like I'm, I'm, yeah, I've transcended yoga and I'm, I've reached a new stratosphere of, uh, of sustainable practice. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm really, I understand movement and bad movements and I don't have those in my classes. So I, yeah, I certainly right. saw lots of examples of that. Okay. So, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. This mm-hmm. idea that like the style of yoga that one teaches is um, more sustainable, safer, healthier, maybe more natural and more functional. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, I feel like we've done a kind of a, th- a good thorough job of just presenting what the, the idea behind functional movement. And- can you, can you, so we sort of talked about what gets taken away, but can you give some examples of what gets added or prioritized? We already mentioned more active uh, contractions in, in terms of the stretching, but what else would yeah. a functional yoga teacher prioritize? Like how would it be different? Mm-hmm. De- definitely the active contraction thing. Definitely a lot of end range strengthening I've mm-hmm. noticed. So a lot of like coming in, like maybe you would come toward um, toward the splits. Like we just mentioned the splits a moment ago and how that's often not included in classes like these. But maybe you would come toward the splits like a position like half splits, Ardha Hanumanasana, which is basically just kind of like a, like a runner's lunge with your back foot on the ground and then the front leg is straight. So it's a hamstring stretch with the back <laughs> knee on the ground. And then in classes like to, to um, treat that more functionally, they may dig the front heel down into the ground in order to isometrically target the hamstrings in a lengthened position. And then the, and we also might lift that front leg off the ground to target the hip flexors on the other side of the joint in a shortened position. So that's like an example of like some end range strength training that I tend to see included in. PNF style. PNF style, exactly. Static contractions. 100%. Another common thing is isolated joint circles or joint uh, rotations. I see those included in in many of these classes that are kind of branded to be better or more more functional. Which is comical to me because <laughs> from a fitness standpoint that would be a non-functional movement isolating movement to one joint yeah so isn't that so, so funny in fitness we we say oh multi-joint compound exercises are better um we we, we want to be thinking about these broader movement patterns and not individual joints or individual muscles and so those sorts of so things. So you wouldn't like, do things like that. No, you you would get the benefits of that. The thinking is you you get the benefits of that through doing compound exercises, and you don't need to do isolation of of individual joints. I think that's just, that's so ironic because in the yoga world, there's this this big emphasis and trend on isolated joint circles as being important and functional. And the idea of an isolated joint circle just means like you, you hold your whole body super still, and then you move only that one single joint and you move it through its full range of motion, which is generally like a rotation or a circular direction. And they're often done for the shoulders, the hips, the spine, the neck. I mean, there's the wrists, basically all the joints. Um, Yeah. So it's just, that's ironic that in the yoga world, isolation is seen as, as functional uh, but in the fitness world, isolation is labeled not functional. Like there's kind of a a disconnect there. Mm-hmm. So with all of that said about what what this approach kind of looks like, I'm what what we could discuss is what's what's our opinion of all of that? Like what how do we personally see functional movement um, from maybe our perspective in the way that we might use that term today? Yeah. So. The first issue I suppose I have with the definition is that Mm -hmm. it lacks context. So, and we sort of were alluding to this. It's like, if you go to one functional yoga teacher to the next, the classes might look different because it's just their opinion. 
of what totally. is non-functional versus what is functional. And you can't even have an opinion of that without knowing who the person who's performing the movement is. So mm-hmm. the, the way that I have, my, the definition for me has evolved is it's not just this movement is functional or that movement is functional it's or non-functional. It's that movement is functional or non-functional for a particular individual mm-hmm. with particular goals and movement history or training history, injuries, um, likes, dislikes, um, attitude, beliefs. So all those things dictate whether, but, but ultimately the most important thing is what is the person's goals? Mm-hmm. Does this exercise help them or movement achieve their goals? If yes, then it is a functional movement for them. For them. That makes so much sense. So so are you kind of suggesting that the word functional or functional movement or functional training, if it's used not within a context, but just as like this broad general term, that maybe it's not as meaningful uh, as using or as helpful as using yeah, it within a context? And especially when you get into the athletic um, situation, what's functional for one person mm-hmm. is not as functional for next. So like we That's talked about point. back squats. Back squats are very functional for a power lifter who only does three exercises, back squats, deadlifts, <laughs> and bench press. Bench right. press is functional for a power lifter. Bench press, if you, we sort Follow of talked that. about, well, if you're lying on your back, that's not really true. Just, but you people know, will say. But people would say that, yeah. Um, but then um, lots of other sports, we also, also talked about, well, you rarely have this perfectly symmetrical stance with this perfectly symmetrical load perfectly placed on your back. Therefore, right. that movement might not even be as specific. So that's another relevant word here. Uh, as specific to the movement that you're going to need to do in sport. And so the the functional training gurus from the early 2010s or, or maybe a little bit before said, oh, don't do back squats, do split squats. Split squats bias one leg at a time. And in sport, we're often on one leg. Therefore, uh, split squats are more functional oh than bilateral squats or, or any really unilateral lower body training is going to be more sport specific and therefore more functional. Than bilateral. Unilateral means one doing one side at a time and bilateral is doing both sides at mm-hmm. one time. So a split squat is more functional than a back squat by that definition. Yeah. But I, not, not that I necessarily agree with that definition because... Right. Uh, it goes back to what I mentioned early on in the podcast where I don't think that functionality is a yes or no. Mm-hmm. I think that when you know the person's goals, certain exercises can be more functional than other exercises. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's more of a continuum or a range where um, at the most fundamental level, we know strength is really important for just about everybody, athletes mm-hmm. and non-athletes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're building strength, somewhat regardless of what the exercise looks like, whether you're seated, whether it's a machine, whether it's isolation, um, whether it's a crunch, that can be functional because you're building strength and strength in and of itself is functional. Now you can get more functional than just the qualification of building strength by making the movement look a a bit more like what the target activity is. But it's not, oh, those seated machine isolation exercises are non-functional. No, it's just that that might be the most functional for a given individual at this time because they're not prepared to do anything Mm -hmm. more sophisticated standing on one leg with free weights. So it's, it just, I said, like I said, it goes back to the context. That makes so much sense. And you have this excellent social media post and Instagram post that you created about, I think it's like a year and a half ago. And -hmm. I recently reviewed it and we will put it in the show notes, but you talked about this idea of function and functional movement on a spectrum and you use this great example. Do you remember? So I think it was, uh, maybe a volleyball player. Yes. And it was, uh, yeah. So volleyball players, the sport is a lot of jumping, uh, like vertical, so straight up in the air. And so to do a strong vertical jump, you need strong quadriceps, especially legs in general. But so the, the, what some people 
purists would say like, oh, a leg press, that's not functional. Well, because that's press, in, a, in a machine and everything. Mm -hmm, uh, so, but a leg press is building strength in the lower body. Mm -hmm. Therefore, it's functional. But then a bit more functional perhaps could be the back squat where you are, it looks more like the jump uh mm -hmm. and you're you're providing your own stability because you your all your muscles have to coordinate so you don't fall over with the weight on your back but then more functional still would be vertical jumps or mm -hmm. because that's what we're trying to perfect or or improve and when you get to that point in the continuum it's just playing the sport we're playing the yes. sport or do it doing the activity itself is the most functional <laughs> that you can thing. get right yeah. Yeah. Play volleyball. Practice your skills within that context. And that's mm -hmm. super functional, right? Because that's. Yeah. But there are other things that you can do to give yourself the foundation to yes. express those qualities of strength and power, even though they don't look exactly like the thing. Like if all you did was yeah. leg press, I wouldn't. Mm -hmm. No, I wouldn't expect you to be able to uh, perform your spike or slam volleyball. or whatever it's called in mm -hmm. volleyball. Yeah. Pass set crush anyway um so but doing those things will give you some of the foundational skills or capacities Capacity. to then um practice the skill yeah you know it, it actually reminds me quite a bit of our approach in strength for yoga where we have these like monthly strength programs that are themed around yoga poses so it's still like full body strength we're working on but there's like this extra added layer of helping people um, improve or enhance or support the practice of one specific asana. And for so we talk about that. So for example, if you take a handstand, for example, and how handstand itself, there's, there's so much skill that goes into that. And you really build that skill by practicing handstand itself. Like that's where it's super specific. You practice your balance and holding your body in that shape. But then something like the strength comes in. And what we would do in strength for yoga is we, we work to train and target, especially the upper body and the core and the shoulders and overhead pushing. We build that, that foundation of strength so that someone can practice handstand. So we're improving the muscles capacity to do the work required in handstand. But then in order to get good at handstand, they still need to practice handstand. That's like the skill practice part. It's not like building the strength is, is a prerequisite. They need to be strong enough to do handstand, but it's not like building the strength is, is going to instantly transfer into their being able to balance on their hands. Right. Necessary, but not sufficient. Necessary, because you also have sufficient. to train the skill. Totally. But all those things, even though isolated wrist extension mobility seems like in a strength training context to be somewhat non-functional. Because that's isolated. Well, we can see how it has carryover if you're interested in embodying. Right. So inversion. if that's your goal, exa exactly. So isolated wrist extensions, it's a very isolated movement or exercise, but it can totally have carryover into increasing wrist capacity and control yeah. or something like handstand. But in like a vacuum, if you said, well, is that exercise functional? And it's like, well, it doesn't look functional. It doesn't look like the, some of those right. other fundamental natural movement right. patterns that we talked about, but because the person has a goal of doing a handstand, which, you know, we, we sort of already talked about, that's not necessarily a real world, uh, uh -huh. movement that you see, but if somebody wants to be able to do it cause exactly. they want to, then it's functional <laughs> for them. A hundred percent. And, and aside from that, uh, I also feel just in general, working on handstand, it has other, like, it may not look like how one might move as a hunter-gatherer in nature. Maybe. I mean, that's just what we imagine hunter-gatherers would or wouldn't look like. But that doesn't mean that working on handstand itself doesn't doesn't entail getting stronger mm -hmm. in our upper body and, and that we know that increased strength is functional no matter what. Yeah. And I actually wrote an article about that. You did? Years ago, because I was annoyed with people in the fitness world talking about how non-functional handstand was. And so I remember this. I think I read this a while yeah, ago. Yeah. So, so it's was that handstand so, walking. Yeah, sorry, it was handstand walking actually. No, no. So it was handstand walking. And so my rationale was this exercise is no different than doing a, an overhead carry where you're walking mm -hmm. and carrying something overhead. Which is, yep. according to these gurus, a very functional exercise because it's a loaded carry and loaded carries are good. Exactly. But it, like, 
what's the difference whether you're upside down or right side up? You're still training your the same muscles, the shoulders and the triceps and the core, um, yes. regardless of whether you're upside down or right side up. And that has carryover to everyday life. Like every time I empty the dishwasher, stack the plates and put the plates up. Yeah, on up the on the high on, shelf. Yeah, uh, that's, I, I'm building strength, whether I'm doing an overhead walking, like carrying weight over my head or I'm, I'm walking in a handstand. I love how you make that point. It's so true. So just thinking about these things in, in a maybe a broader, bigger picture sense, like it, it does, it's so easy to get really narrow-minded and have these narrow definitions for the way that we classify and look at movements. Like handstand is non-functional. So don't, there's no, there's no purpose in working on it if you're talking about you know, healthy movement and good movement, but that's, it's so not true when you actually look at it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the same could be apply, uh, applied to actually many of the move movements and poses in yoga that are often labeled non-functional and, and pulled out of the practice in the more functional styles. Like for example, the reverse prayer one, that pose that you can't do that I could do, where you take your hands and you clasp them behind you. So I've definitely seen that one specifically kind of fear-mongered about and pulled out of yoga classes. But I feel like how is bring your hands behind your back into prayer? To me, I see that as like, well, if you're wearing a bra and you need mm-hmm. to reach back there and clasp it or unclasp it, uh, wouldn't couldn't that potentially be helpful? Like building that flexibility to do that and you know, uh, what about if you're sitting in the car and you have a, a child in the car seat behind you and there, yeah. you need to reach back there and, you know, so give them true. something or give them their bottle. Or, like there's this, that's shoulder extension. And maybe you have to rotate inward to get them because they're right behind you. So I just feel like that uh, it's just so easy to look at a shape and just see the picture of the shape. I'm bringing my hands in prayer behind my heart. When would I ever do that in daily life? That's not worth doing in yoga, but we actually can see that's actually a, that's a range of motion in the shoulder joints that actually by that definition of functional as having carry over to daily life tasks, when you really think about it, it actually can. So that's another example. Um, the splits, Hanumanasana, that one gets pulled out of yoga classes a lot, but I feel it's similar to me in my mind as with handstand. If someone has the goal of wanting to be able to do forward splits, then isn't working on forward splits functional for them. Mm-hmm. And I could also see that, like, what if you fall? What if you slip on ice and one leg yes. goes one way and one leg goes the other way? Like, wouldn't it be Thanks a little bit better to be able to kind of splay your legs like that than not be able to? Yeah. And even regardless of the whole strength at end range thing, and then I know people can target strength at end range and splits, but even if it's just passive, it, could there be an argument made for just, well, the more range of motion that you have in that movement, the further you could you could slip and fall and not get hurt because you, you just have more range to move through. Yeah. Whether it's passive or active, you just have the range. Um, so that's that's a, that's a really good one. So it's just like it just gets more complex and more nuanced when you think about it and kind of boiling these things down into these black or white categories of functional and non-functional or natural, non-natural healthy, not healthy. I think just the movement is just so much more complex than that. And maybe when we take a step back, uh, we can start to reframe that word functional movement and all those associated words. Yeah. Well, and it's tricky, right? Because it, it has become so bastardized. Like yes. I, we didn't even mention this in a fitness context. There was this group of people, I guess, who uh, took it to the nth degree and said anything where like talking about the stability component oh, more mm-hmm. having to stabilize more is better like doing yeah. a free weight exercise we're doing a machine so more instability the more unstable the surface that we can perform an exercise on the better or the more yeah That's the more right. like chaotic unstable surface training so yeah then it, it spawned this whole unstable surface training thing um which a, a, and it was called functional training. So that's what they call uh, it. Yeah. So I remember I was working at the first gym that I worked at. We had this fitness manager. He was not uh, an exercise person. He was like a business person. They were doing some sort of photo shoot. He was kind of big and muscly. So um, they were going and he's like, let's go do some functional stuff. So he gets, <laughs> he kneels on a bow. Uh, he kneels on a physio ball, which is oh, like a circus trick oh, that's, and starts yeah. doing bicep curls. And I'm like, oh my God. 
Um, and that, that was like my first introduction to this other way of describing functional training, which is so far off the deep end. And the reason that you wouldn't want to do that just uh, quickly is if you want to train your biceps, you want to be on a stable surface so that you can produce the most force from your biceps, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. be worried about falling off from kneeling on a physio ball because that's going to limit your force production. And, and right. so that's you the, won't build as much counter, strength in the biceps. Yeah, that's the counter argument against unstable surface training. There's a time and place for balance training on an yes. unstable surface, but leave the balance training to itself and perform the other exercises the strength training. On, a, yeah, on a stabler surface. That makes so much sense. I'm really glad you brought that up because yeah, I've been meaning, I've been meaning for us to, to mention that in this episode because it's so common, at least what I see, the unstable surface training and BOSU balls, you know, like that's like yeah. a half physio ball with yeah. the flat bottom. And it's not to say that there's not a time and place for that, especially in a rehabilitation context. Yes, post ankle sprain. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, that's that's an isolated application. And if you're healthy, you probably don't need to be doing so much of that. Right. That makes so that's that's a lot the of challenge sense. when we get talk about functional training. It's like, well, what do you even mean? And it goes back to like, well, if you're doing normal uh normal strength training where you're doing the functional movements, isn't isn't normal strength training functional? Oh, like yeah. why do we even <laughs> need this word functional um, training? Yeah, to describe what we're doing because uh, it, it makes so much sense because yeah. as we mentioned, strength training, anytime you strengthen any muscle, to me, that seems like that is functional. If your definition is that it's going to help you, I don't know, move through life better, like improving capacity of your muscles seems like that's got to be functional, right? So isn't all strength training, whatever it looks like, isn't all strength training functional? So therefore, why why is there this term functional training as separate from strength training? Yeah. I guess in a bigger picture or not a bigger picture, but also alongside in the yoga conversation, uh, I just, I guess, I guess I wouldn't, I don't want to suggest that it is wrong to use the word functional or to call a style of yoga functional or to (laughs) say you teach um, functional movement in yoga, but maybe for us to just think about what we mean by the term and how we're defining it. Because as you talked about so well, uh, it just, functional can become more meaningful when it is used within a context for a specific individual and their goals and their body and their injury history. Uh, it's so, so functional makes sense in those types of contexts, but as just a general overarching word to refer to movement as like inherently functional or better, more healthy, like maybe that's not so accurate and maybe that's not so helpful. Yeah, yeah. I agree. You agree? <laughs> I'm glad we're on the same page about that. So, yeah, so I guess, so I think this kind of wraps up our conversation, but just in general, not, yeah, the word can be useful when used in its proper context that really makes it meaningful and it comes to life for the individual. Unfortunately, the word's been so kind of bastardized and it's just become so broad and vague. Like, I think anytime we use that term just about in the yoga movement or fitness worlds, it's probably really helpful to qualify what we mean if we're using it. Mm-hmm. So if we just say functional, I mean, it, that's, that's pretty confusing because people might have different interpretations of what that means. So maybe qualify the word if you're going to use it. Uh, and just, just, just think about, you know, just to get more clear on the terms we use in general, seems like a, a solid approach. Nailed it. <laughs> so I think that wraps up our conversation. Thanks so much for talking with me and sharing all of your uh, wisdom and insight on this oh. excellent and meaty topic. Thank you. Yeah, like I said, it when you first told me that functional mm-hmm. movement was as much as prevalent in the yoga world as I knew it to be in the strength training world, I was like, "Wow. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> what what's the what's the deal?" And so, yeah, we're we're facing a lot of the same issues with that. Right. You know, s- slight slight differences slight here difference, and there, like but the by and large. Thing. Right. Yeah, but by by and large, it's it's uh, a pervasive issue across mm-hmm. movement disciplines. Yeah, absolutely. So I feel I feel really thankful that we're able to come together and just have have a nuanced conversation that might inspire people to think in a bigger picture way and in a more contextual way around this term and um, just in general the terms that we use. So thank you, Travis. Thanks, Jenny. And that wraps up our look at functional movement in this episode of Yoga Meets Movement Science. 
We hope you enjoyed this discussion and we'd so appreciate your support for this new offering if you had time to subscribe to this podcast and to leave us a rating or a review. And remember to use the code PODCAST30 for 30% off your first month in Travis's and my Strength for Yoga program. And you can learn more and sign up on my website, jennyrawlings.com, and the link is in the show notes. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in our next episode. Mm